Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, back, do you remember somebody asked us a long time ago, they asked us, you guys, how do you throw away a trash can? Do I just put my trash mm. can inside of my tr- another trash can? Is that yeah. how that works? Yeah. And it it has taken me this long to realize it's probably been more than a year. So you need this long to realize what that person was actually asking us. They were asking us, can can you do the can-can? Can you do the can-can? Can you put the can inside a can? That's the joke. It's, it's, oh, that's the joke. That's brutal. I mean, that was <laughs> that was excruciating to live through. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to over-dramatize it or anything, but that was one of the worst things I've had to go through in my life. So I'm um, still workshopping it. I'm still working on that one. Maybe, maybe, maybe next week I'll come up with a, like sort of a, sh- a shinier version of it. When I get to the afterlife, St. <laughs> Peter's going to be like, hey, you just, you know, you were a mixed bag. And I'll be like, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, but I listened to that whole Hank joke. <laughs> I listened to the, the whole can, thing. Can I didn't joke. interrupt you him remember, once. The can, St. Can Peter, joke. you remember know everything. Peter? You remember the can can <laughs> joke. You did not forget that. Let me in, buddy. I listened to the can-can joke. And indeed, <laughs> all of our listeners, everybody, everybody who didn't interrupt in the middle this, of that joke to boo. This one is a free pass. It's the most viewed to the of good all place. the podcasts because it's guaranteed to get you into heaven. Here's a better joke. This question comes from Jess, who writes, Dear John and Hank, but mostly Hank. Jess, thank you for knowing what I can and cannot do. My fiance recently told me a joke about how scientists were able to weigh rainbows, and mm. they found out after weighing these rainbows that they were pretty light. <laughs> ah! Now, see, that, that is a good dad joke. That's pretty good. light That's is a good, good dad ah. joke. That, it got me to thinking, I know that rainbows are like made out of light and that photons have no mass. Well, mm-hmm. Jess, you're one step ahead of me. But <laughs> since you have to have water droplets for mm-hmm. rainbows to form, how much would a rainbow weigh if you added up the weight of the water droplets that helped make the rainbow raindrops and photons, Jess? Well, John, remarkably, <sighs> Deboki Chakravarti decided... Uh, uh, without telling me or uh, giving me advance notice or even letting me tell her not to, she did figure this out with real math. <laughs> so, oh boy. So the size of a raindrop is about uh, either to, to from 0.5 to 4 millimeters in diameter, which is a pretty wide range. Uh, but you will notice that as you are getting hit by raindrops, sometimes they are smaller than other times. So it's mm-hmm. difficult to know exactly. Um but the first thing that Deboki has written down, do you technically need more than one raindrop to make a rainbow? But that is all Deboki wrote mm. down. Because because once mm. that was done, that's just a, that's the, that's we're throwing that out in the universe. Do you? I don't know. Probably not. But the question is, how much does a rainbow that you're actually looking at? How much is that rainbow? Right. 
way. The average rainbow. Yes. We're looking at, we're not looking for like a single yes. a rainbow within a single drop of water. Yeah. That's beautiful, that's but for not poetry what... <laughs> to handle. We're talking about regular, the kind of rainbows uh-huh. that have a pot of gold yeah. at the end of them and a box of lucky charms and a leprechaun. Those rainbows. So there are probably trillions of those 0.5 to 4 millimeter raindrops in a rainbow, which is wow. a lot of rain. Yeah. So, John, do you want to know how much a rainbow weighs? I do. We're going to give it to you in elephants because okay. uh, that because it's not going to make any sense otherwise. This is as yeah. close as we can get to telling you in a number that makes sense about how much a rainbow weighs in elephants. Mm-hmm. Seven million. What? Elephants. What? A rainbow weighs seven million elephants. By the way, I only want to hear weight in elephant measures from now on, period, for the rest of my life. When the doctor asks me how much I weigh, I'm going to tell the God's honest truth, which is that I weigh one thirty-third of an elephant. <laughs> We're getting rid of pounds and kilograms. That whole thing is over. It's elephants only from here on out. It's elephants all the way down. Seven million elephants. I could not be more surprised. I would have guessed when you said seven, I was like seven elephants. I buy it. I could I can see a rainbow weighing seven elephants. I had seven million elephants. Can we go back to light not having mass? <laughs> just just briefly. That makes that makes more sense than a seven million elephant rainbow. Wow. I mean, you, I, I you by the way, do not weigh one thirty third of an elephant. That is for sure. You may weigh one sixty sixth of an elephant. But I don't. Well, know. I, you definitely I, don't weigh one thirty third of an elephant. I I don't want to get too particular here because the last thing I want to do is abandon elephants as a way of measuring mass. But I I, I do strongly believe it depends on the elephant. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is true. I've seen a lot of elephants. Some of them yeah. are yeah, significantly bigger than other ones. It's true. So if we're talking about like adult male yeah. elephants, I yeah. I have no idea how much they weigh. All I know is that 7 million of them weigh a lot. Wow. That's a, that's a mind blower for water. me. Water. Water. Gosh, yeah. water. It's heavy. And it just like goes up into the sky. Do you know why water goes up into the sky, John? It's great. I don't. Because water vapor, I'm gonna, the gaseous form of water, yeah. is less dense. Yeah, it, it like it's, evaporates. It evaporates it, well, into so the like air. That, yeah. that, that gas... So, so all these different gases mm-hmm. are in the air. It's mostly uh, nitrogen and oxygen. Nitrogen. Um, yeah. So water yeah. vapor is less dense than nitrogen and oxygen. So it floats until mm. it turns back into uh, water again, and liquid water again. And then it's heavier. And then it falls back down. And that's how the whole world works. Without that effect, you know who was one of the none of it would work. Well, the, the oceans would. The land stuff, none of it would work. I've been reading this book uh, by Katie Mack, the astrophysicist, called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. And it's full of stuff like rainbows weighing 7 million elephants, except even more upsetting <laughs> yeah, but, and even more weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But weirder the and The universe and worse. is so yeah. weird, and it's going to end, well, which is yeah. even weirder. The, the thing that I've uh, kind of been surprised so I'm 41 now and I it, it, this this wasn't weird to me until now that the universe has a beginning like I don't know why that was never weird to me but yeah. now it's very weird I'm like oh so like one day there was suddenly well, a bunch actually, of hydrogen it's weirder than that because it wasn't on one day because there really kind of wasn't time right. before. But like that, yeah. And all, yeah, no, time is very weird. I don't want to get into it. But the 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 <laughs> idea, do you know one of the first ways that we figured out that the universe was had a finite age, like had a beginning? I, I think so. Although you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, Hank. I mean, I, I think there are several ways that we kind of know the Big Bang probably happened, but wasn't the first that we figured out that the universe was expanding at an accelerating rate mm-hmm. and that if you run that backwards, as you have to, right. because that's how time works, <laughs> yeah. that eventually you get to a, an unbelievably dense single particle yeah. of 
everything. Yes, and and then and then weirdly enough, we confirmed that that actually had happened through a number of other experiments. But before that, when we were just sort of thought experimenting about this, yeah, people were like, "Well, if the universe was so, so it could be one of two things: either the universe is infinitely old or." infinitely big. It can't be both infinitely big and infinitely old, because if that were the case- The sky would be white at night. The sky would be white at night, because every point would be- And if the universe is infinite, when you look up, in any point, there is something there. You know, it's going to look black, but there is something there if the universe is infinite, which there it may very well be. But that the light hasn't had a chance to get to you yet. If it were infinitely big and infinitely old, the light would have had a chance to get to you. So there would be no nighttime, uh, which would be very weird. <laughs> I mean, it's very weird to consider the possibility that the universe is infinitely big because we often think of infinity as being a, a large number, but mm-hmm. it it is not. It is it is an idea. It is the it is boundlessness. Yeah. And that is not a large number. It's much weirder than the largest number imaginable. I don't know why, but it, I, I think it would be weirder for the universe to have a size. I don't. I. By the way, I've been reading all these books, Hank, because uh-huh. nine years after you first told me that the universe has no edge, yeah, I'm trying to write a video about why the universe has no edge. Oh, wow. But in that order for hard. me to do that, I need to finally understand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to see what gets you there because I've and tried. I have, I have wonderful science communicators who've written brilliant books that are really helping me get there. But I'll tell you what helps me the most is just the idea that the universe might be infinite because infinite things do not have an edge. <laughs> yeah, that... that? That makes things more clear for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just think of it like if the if like everything is a field, like what why would a field have an end? Why would it why would there be a bound on it? And so like the weird thing is that all of these fields interact to form stuff, and then all that stuff interacts to form planets, and all the stuff on the planets interacts to be like, I'm gonna be a plant. Yeah. That is very weird. Yeah. Um it's the it's the hydrogen to Bluetooth that's the weird thing. I think it's trying to understand what the universe is expanding into. That was the biggest problem for me because well, I was picturing. If it's, if it's, does it make it weirder if it's infinite and expanding? Is that still does that make sense to you? No, no. I mean, of course not. It shouldn't make sense to anyone, <laughs> right? Like okay. that should be weird. Sure. If you if if you're yeah. not a little bit weirded out by the idea that you are living in an infinite universe that is expanding at an accelerating rate, then mm-hmm. like, I, I I don't know what to tell you. Like, you don't get freaked out easily, I guess. Yes, it is weird to me, but it, at least like I can, I can grasp it. When people would be like, oh, the universe is like a balloon. It doesn't have an edge. I would be like, well, first off, balloons have edges. Like, in fact, like that's kind of what a balloon <laughs> is. It's just an edge. Uh, yeah. And then, and then secondly. You just got to make that three-dimensional. Okay, anyway. A balloon is three-dimensional. No, and, you got to make, make the edge of the balloon three-dimensional. But but secondly, the balloon, <laughs> I know what the balloon is expanding into. It's expanding into Earth. No, like, it's expanding no. into space. It's expanding <laughs> into air. And so I, I, I had what, what I've eventually had to do is put away all of these analogies that people tried to create for me uh-huh. because they just aren't that helpful. Like, yeah. it isn't like a balloon. It isn't like a slinky. It isn't. It, it, <laughs> it's an infinite universe that is expanding at an accelerating rate. And we can mm-hmm. only see so much of it, not because there is only so much to see, but because there is only so much to see from where we are. Right. That is what has gotten me there insofar it's as so, I have arrived there. It's so weird. It's, it's so, so weird. weird. It's, so, it's so weird. The universe is astonishing. And like we are there, like humans, like the whole universe is extremely weird. Galaxies are weird. Mm-hmm. But humans yeah. on, a, on a planet looking at, cosmic mm-hmm. background radiation to know how old mm-hmm. the universe is. Yeah. Very weird. It's so good. It's so encouraging. 
It's so good. It's so good. Um, speaking of the universe, John, we have a question from Nick who asks, dear Hank and John, where is Voyager heading? Do we know? <laughs> is it still out there? Is it going any place in specific or is it just going? Natis Vincere, Nick. I, had I don't e- know what that one is. I don't either. Can I tell you what I think the answer is and then you tell me what the actual answer is? Sure. I think the answer is that the Voyager space capsule is going away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is that is correct. You've hit on it. Do you have anything more than away? Yeah, like further and further away from us. Yep. Um, it's not actually going because I don't think it's actually going toward anything. I think the main thing it's going well. is away. It's like when I moved to Alaska, uh, a waitress. <laughs> I was at a breakfast place and a waitress said to me. There's only two kinds of people who come to Alaska, people who are running to something and people who are running from something. Which kind are you? And I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, I think I'm like the Voyager space capsule. I'm I'm running away. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that is correct. Uh it is especially correct in in as much as like so so we didn't intend for the Voyager spacecraft to can to have like a trajectory really. The point was we got to get it we got to like study a bunch of the of the solar system, and then once it's done, it's not—it's not coming back. Like it's going to be headed quickly outward because outward was where all of the planets were. So it went quickly outward, and uh, and so the Voyager spacecrafts uh, continue to go quickly outward. And so they're both going in different directions. They're going different directions in space. The weird thing is that they are both going to arrive kind of-ish somewhere in about 40,000 years. Mm. But different places, Mm. which is weird. Um, So Voyager 2 will be a a little less than two light years away from a star uh, in 40,000 years. Uh, that will not be helpful to anyone. I was going to say, that be... doesn't sound like it's really headed to anything. It sounds <laughs> it's, like it's, it's also not to very close. Being it's two pretty light far years away. away from a star, which is not yeah. close. But here's the really weird one. In about 40,000 years, Voyager 1 will be 1.7 light years away from a star. It doesn't matter what star. You can look this up. But the weird thing is that at that point, 40,000 years from now, the star that Voyager will be two light years away from will be the closest star to Earth. Oh, but isn't currently. Because because it's currently Alpha Centauri, which will have moved away. Um, but that star will be, despite the fact that it's going to be the closest star to Earth, we won't be able to see it with the naked eye because it's a very dim star. It's a main sequence star that just has just does not very does not have a bright magnitude. Um, and so even if you were sitting on Voyager at 1.7 light years away from that star, you could barely see it. Well, that's where Voyager's heading. Hey. That's how much space there is that, like, they've calculated the, the closest thing they're going to get to in the next 40,000 years. And it's a star it basically won't be able to see. I have to disagree with your premise that in 40,000 years, the Voyager space capsules will be somewhere. <laughs> because what you just told me <laughs> is that they will both be over a light year away from the nearest meaningful thing. And like, yeah, that, which is, but that's a lot closer than they are right I now. I understand, but it, it isn't close, right? Like, the sun is seven light minutes no. away from me right now, and I sometimes get cold. <laughs> like, it's not <laughs> close to be a light year yeah, away no, from the, something. Not at all. The sun is this. Yeah, the sun is. Uh, the sun is very close. Um, interestingly, in looking at this, I discovered that the uh, the closest star that we have been to. And the la- that we will be to is going to happen in 1,200 years or 1,300 years. And we will be quite close to that star. We will be 0.16 light years away. Hmm. That's pretty close. So, so co- closer than Voyager. Closer th- and Voyager will not be that close to that star. Voyager will be farther away than we are. Because it's not going to anything. It's just no. going from. It's like me moving to Alaska. If only we threw Voyager at that star. But no, we didn't. Okay. I, so I feel if we want to plan an interstellar mission, though, that's the candidate. It's it's not going to be that far away. It, it's just that the mission is going to take two thousand years. Which, like, okay, mm. let's let's think long term. Okay, mm. I'm okay let's with thinking. It. I'm okay with thinking medium term on this one. Let's wait until we've got some speedier uh, spaceships. The next question yeah, comes from Jason. Luck. 
I just want to confirm, by the way, that I was 100% right. Yes. And you, with all of your fancy calculations, were 100% wrong. Voyager is going <laughs> nowhere fast. It is going from not to. Next question, This next question comes from Jason, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what does it mean to 86-something, and where does that come from? Jason. By the way, Rosiana... Our producer left a note that said, she's British, and she left a note that said, I always thought Americans were saying the letter A, the letter D, the number six, like oh. A-D-6, like C-3PO or something. <laughs> it's a Star Wars joke. But no, it's the number 86. Yeah. And have you heard this before? Like if yeah. you say you're going to 86 someone, it's a way of saying you're going to murder them. Yeah. Or if you say like something got 86, it means yep. that we got rid of it or, it or we yeah. just, it's been canceled. Mm-hmm. So the short answer to your question, Jason, is that nobody knows where 86 came from. There are a number of theories. In the 1920s, when the term first emerged, there was a lot of rhyming uh, in in English, a lot of like slang rhymes Mm -hmm. that were especially popular in the UK, but you also saw them in the US. And so it may have been rhyming slang for the term nix, which means like get rid of. It also, this is my favorite potential version, it may have been that when you were a bartender, and because it was largely used in the hospitality business in the yeah. beginning, it may have been that when you were a bartender and you 86'd someone, it basically meant you were like, you can't have any real liquor anymore. You're too drunk. We're cutting you down to 86 proof alcohol, which by the way, is still 43% alcohol. <laughs> so p- p- plenty. <laughs> Um, which is also, I think, the major vote against that. Like, if you're really trying to cut someone off, I'm not sure that you, like, head to the 86-proof stuff. But there is also the possibility that it was soda jerk slang. So, like, there were all these in the in the uh, 1920s, there were all these drugstores that had soda fountains mm-hmm. where you could get ice-cold uh, soda drinks. And there, there were lots of codes. Like, code 13 meant that a, your boss was nearby. Code 81 meant a glass of water. And code mm. 86 supposedly meant, like, we're all out of it. We don't have any of that. Mm. So those are the kind of leading, uh, leading votes, at least so far as I know. But none of them are confirmed because even slang that emerged just 100 years ago is already shrouded in mystery. Will that continue to happen or have we written stuff down too much? Well, I think like there's actually to me like a a huge purpose in, for example, uh, Know Your Meme, which is sort of like a meme history source. Yeah. I do do think, but but even then, like a lot of this stuff is somewhat shrouded in mystery. Like if you read the Know Your Meme uh, articles about even memes from like 15 years ago, there's a lot of ambiguity already. So no, I think it'll continue. I think it it will always be part of the human story. Yeah, I think you're right. Like even even today, there are lots of things that people say that I I have no idea where it's come from. And I, sheesh. Oh gosh. Yeah, sheesh. Oh, Lord. Um, the other day, nothing, the other day, nothing Henry, makes you feel old as as much as like this stuff continuing to happen. I know, I know, and it's always like you never see it coming. You know, <laughs> you know, like, we're done. We're done with the new slang, right? We yeah, must be. Yeah. Right. We've come up with all the words we need, and then no, we haven't because well. we did not have a word for sheesh. <laughs> uh, Oh, Lord. Oh, God. All right. Uh, Hank, let's answer another science question. This one comes from Emmy, who writes, Dear John and Hank, since potassium is radioactive and I have potassium inside of my body, could I say that I am technically radioactive? And are there other decaying elements inside of me as well? Sincerely, Emmy. Uh, You know, I'm not entirely sure if there are other decaying elements. I mean, I bet that there are. But potassium is, I think, the big one. And, and yes, you are radioactive. Not worryingly so. If you sleep next to someone for eight hours, scientists have calculated this, you will receive uh, 1.5 bananas of radiation. Hold hold on, Hank. Before we go any further, how many elephants is that? Is that uh, like six elephants? Probably like probably like 100. I'm just guessing. Okay. <laughs> like a, you get 100 elephants of radiation yeah. if you sleep. What happens if you sleep next to an elephant? <laughs> how close are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know how much potassium elephants have. I feel like we might be at the uh, very outer edge of even dubious conjecture nah. at this point. Nah, elephants got plenty of potassium. It's necessary for for so much of uh, our neurology. So elephants got potassium. If you sleep in the arms of an elephant, you will get 100 bananas of radiation. I've said it now and I will not take it back. It's true. Because I feel it's, like it is. It might not be true. Just, <laughs> just just to be clear, Hank is guessing, and he is probably guessing wrongly. And I cannot wait for someone to write in with some highly skilled <laughs> calculation of how many bananas of elephants of radiation come from sleeping next to an elephant. But anyway, Hank, I, mostly I'm reminded that today's podcast is brought to you by Radioactive Elephants. Radioactive Elephants. Burning bright. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Pretty Light. It's what rainbows are. <laughs> Actually, they're not. They're not light at all. <laughs> no, they're incredibly they're, heavy. They're pretty light. They're nice to. They're light that's nice to look at, though. It kills the joke because they're so heavy. <laughs> you do uh, would die. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the universe. The universe. No edge since no 16 billion years ago. And also this podcast is brought to you by Gleesa 445. Gleesa 445, it's the star that Voyager and also our sun will be close to in about 40,000 years. No, not very close, just to re exactly. reiterate. Hey, like, No, I agree. Not very close. <laughs> okay. Um, this is running from something, not running to anything. Yeah. Voyager needs <laughs> to just grow up. And learn that in life, you need to make positive choices as well as negative ones. You need to decide what you're going to as well as what you're running from, Voyager. And that's a lesson that I learned on the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska the hardest way. <laughs> Good luck, Voyager. We also have a lovely Project for Awesome message from Kate Kuman from Detroit to Matt Kuman. My husband, Matt, was a nerd fighter to his core. He watched every video, read every book, listened to every podcast, even to the point that it was annoying. Matt died of cancer in September of 2020, so this message is in honor of him. Be grateful for every second you have. Fight for what you believe in. And if you love someone, tell them. Mm. And of course, DFTBA. Kate, that is so lovely and such a wonderful way to honor your husband's memory. And thank you for sharing that with us. And also, I know how annoying it can be when somebody won't shut up about how much they love something. So <laughs> thanks for loving him anyway. And yeah. um, thank you for sharing that. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. 
Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. John, this next question comes from Jade, who asks, Dear Hank and John, a couple days ago, I watched the movie In the Heights at a theater with my cousins. It was very good. And since I liked the movie, when it ended, I clapped. My cousin immediately told me to stop and said, people don't do that. Which brought me to the question, is it normal to clap at the end of movies? I hope it's as normal as sneezing, Jade. Yeah. I, there's been, I've been in movie theaters where there has been clapping at the end, but it has definitely been the exception in my experience. The movie has to be good, which most movies aren't, you know? Like, well, I don't know about that. To me, like the, the clapping I tend to experience in movie theaters is for movies that people have been waiting a long time for and that are like part, mm. like, you know, at the end of, at the end of like Phantom Menace, everyone clapped because it was like, ah, the star, Star Wars is back very exciting and they're like you know sometimes you hear like clapping when like a big bad gets gotten um right not at the end of the movie but people are like woo and that's always i'm like wow that's you're really into it okay you're going for it um i think it's nice i I think think it's it's a nice communal moment and i'm a big fan of non-verbal communal moments like where we make sounds together but we don't have to like spit all over each other Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons i like applause i think it's great I'm a hundred percent in favor of it. I what because to me, like not clapping is just a form of like not being enthusiastic. And like usually you're not clapping for precisely the reason that Jade's cousin cited, mm-hmm. which is like it's so embarrassing. It's like, not yeah, it's not done. It's not it's People not don't embarrassing. Do that. I also I also clap when there's a rough landing on an airplane, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people yep. who like you got this thing down in this thunderstorm and you are going to hear it from me. <laughs> if there's anybody you're going to hear it from, it's going to be John Green. God, uh, I can't. I Remember remember flying? That uh, was weird. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. That was a strange thing that I did for years and years and years that it turned out I didn't, I didn't have to do. <laughs> I, would, I would like to. I, some... uh, I, I mean, I, I have to say... I don't see any upsides to the pandemic, but I I don't miss I don't miss flying. I think I flew enough. I a little bit I don't I don't miss flying at all. And I almost feel like a spell has been broken because I was so obsessed with getting, you know, like platinum or diamond medallion status every year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and really? I never that, I did never think about that at least. Oh, I, I mean I, I had to obsess about it because like it was the That's way that I want gamified the fact that I had to fly 60 times a year. Yeah. And then like the spell broke and now they email me and they're like, we're going to extend your medallion status. I'm like, I'm not interested. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Whatever hold you had on me is gone. That that thing that I cared about now seems very silly. I don't want your literal or your figurative peanuts. Like I'm good. (laughs) I like being sort of a ground-based phenomenon most of the time. Yeah. So, so Jade, I think you should just tell your cousin, listen, I'm being unironically enthusiastic, which is a resource in short supply in this world, and I will thank you not to judge me. 
Um, John, this reminds me, I would really like some tea berry ice cream or, or checkerberry ice cream. Uh, this, are, this is a flavor of ice cream that we only have in America and that we don't have anywhere near me. So if anybody knows where I could get checkerberry ice cream delivered to me in Missoula, Montana, please let me know. Hard to get frozen stuff. Hank, we have another question. It's from Catherine. And it's a very interesting question that I do not know the answer to. Okay. She writes, Dear John and Hank, are human brains like a blob that wrinkled into folds that look like thick strings? <laughs> or are they strings that eventually formed into a blob? Oh, God. Like, could you unravel a brain by pulling one end of the brain string? No. Okay. Not an abundance of just one, Catherine. I think, and uh, there may be some developmental biologists who will correct me on the this, but I'm pretty sure that the brain originally forms as a solid blob and then the wrinkles fold into that blob mm. over the course of the of fetal development. And that it is not, well, I what I know it is not, it is not like a string of brain that then gets bigger and then like runs up against it itself, which I understand That's how you I would was- think that, but that is It'd not. It'd be cool. It'd be very cool if the brain was like sort of like a, a head intestine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and that's how I thoughts would... work. They start, yeah. at the, they start at the thought place and then they sort of get shat out into your yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right. First, first you eat some sort of input and then at yeah. the end of it, like you poop out a thought. <laughs> <laughs> if only every thought were a poop, I think we would be uh, uh, appropriately humbled. Yeah, right. If I, I'd just be like, oh, gosh, I just had a thought. Usually don't have it until like nine in the morning. But yeah, today I had a thought at 830. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I just in general, I want I want my own mind to know that they are not all bangers. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question, though. I mean, it's yeah. a fascinating. It's a fascinating thought experiment. But I, yeah, it, it's it's more blobby than it is intestiny, unfortunately. Yeah. We have another question from Vi who writes. Dear John and Hank, in John's book, The Anthropocene Reviewed, available now wherever you buy books, he uses the phrase not unkindly, saying, and Hank, this is about, there's a moment in the book where I write about, like, when I signed my name 250,000 times, there would be the occasional signature, like one out of every 10 or 12,000 that I would feel like really captured the essence of my signature and looked really good. And I was really proud of (laughs) And I write about this in the book, and I and I say that Sarah will nod politely and look carefully at this near-perfect sig- signature for a while before saying, not unkindly, it looks exactly like all the others, yeah. <laughs> which is true. For some reason, my brain completely stumbled at the phrase, not unkindly. What does that mean? I assume he doesn't mean kindly, because then he would have used that word. Does mm-hmm. it mean somewhere between kindly and unkindly? But isn't that just saying something normally? <laughs> Why does the English language have such ambiguous phrases? Oh. Just some guy, Vi. I, well, okay, let me see. You wrote it, so you know the answer. But I, as a reader, here's how I interpret that. If you If you just said, she said... It looks exactly like all the others. I would probably assume a certain amount of like snark in that sentence because right. because like it is a dumb thing that you're doing. But yeah. but there but Sarah is being empathetic toward your um, you know over analysis here because you're doing a thing a lot uh, and so it's when you're doing a thing a lot you can't help but think a lot about it. And so, right. so Sarah is being uh, thoughtful in her comments and attempting to say a thing that could easily sound unkind in a not unkind way. Yeah, I think that's very close to it. I mean, so this is a double negative and double negatives are supposed to not happen in English. Sure. But in fact, we use them all the time yeah. and we use them in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we use them to emphasize a positive there's all kinds of different double negatives. But in this case, you sometimes use a double negative because you're trying to cut something a little bit. You're trying to find right. a place between kindly mm-hmm. uh, th- that isn't quite kindly, that's a little funny, that's got a little bit right, of snark, right. but that still has some generosity about it. 
and that is not unkindly. <laughs> and and so and and the other thing that a phrase like that does that I like the and the reason that I chose it there and and why I like it sometimes is that it it can also cause that pause like you know you read it and 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 it and it doesn't feel as smooth as a river rock right like it's a little bit of a jagged edge and that that pauses you when you're reading and and there in that little like section between two commas you pause enough that the joke that comes after it is funnier hopefully mm-hmm. so like if if you can if you can stop someone right before the joke the joke is often reads to me yeah. anyway better mm-hmm. so that's the other reason for it but double negatives have so many purposes in english and like triple negatives also have multiple purposes a lot of times that it it can be it's it's definitely a dangerous game to play and i I I thought about it a lot when I was writing that sentence. I remember thinking about it because I was like, mm, you know, this is uh uh I know what I'm trying to do here, I, but you never know like if it's going to be communicated perfectly. Right. So, yeah, it's it it it's not an uncommon I just did it actually. <laughs> By accident. But it's yeah. not an uncommon it's not an uncommon trick in English. Uh, I, I certainly didn't invent it, uh, but I've I've always been pretty fond of it. John, let's do one more question before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's from Rachel, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm trying to figure out what career I want in the future. My dream job would be one where I could read fiction novels all day. Since both of y'all have written books, I was wondering, out of all of the people who help in making your books, who reads the book as part of their job? Slaying Dragons, and saving princes, Rachel. Oh, that's an interesting yeah, question. Who reads? Who's like? I mean, people. The wild thing is that the reading of the book almost doesn't seem like it counts toward the work. Like they almost always do that, like not during working hours. Yeah, yeah. So I think like the obvious people, the first people are your editor. Yeah, who Ugh, reads, reads the book a lot of drafts after draft yeah. after draft. Mm-hmm. And then there's the copy editor who, it's true. and yeah. copy editors will be unafraid to correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, <laughs> I believe usually read the book a couple times, yeah. And that's when I I don't I don't know what it's like to read as a copy editor. I would think that it would, you know, you just you have to be paying such close attention mm-hmm. to grammar, yeah, like. You have to think about the phrase "not unkindly" mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. and, and and different things like it all the time. And so I don't I don't know if it's as enjoyable as like reading for pleasure is. I'd be interested but... to hear that because I can't imagine. Yeah, because it it you know copy editors also do continuity work and they do fact checking yeah. work. Oh. So like you know like you know they they know they will they will check to see so different. So for example, Gramercy Theater. Uh, the last word in Gramercy Theater and the official name of the Gram- Gramercy Theater is spelled like it is in British English. Uh, but like, I didn't know that. And so my copy editor like looked up how Gramercy Theater, right. the business name is spelled because in that situation it would be so like like stuff like that where you don't even think of it as it's not grammar. It's just like that is a the name of a business. And, you know, Mary Beth was making sure that that was like correct. You know, there's like, like yeah. and there's like timeline stuff. They do a ton of different things, but all of that makes me feel like you would have to be thinking so much about the sort of uh, structure of the book, the process of the book, that it would be hard to enjoy the book as a um, story. Yeah, it's very detail oriented work, but also super important work. And yeah, so you could do that. Also, the publicist often not always but usually reads the book certainly yeah. my publicist <laughs> always reads the book uh-huh. Elise Marshall yeah I think publicists um, read a lot of books for sure yeah and then librarians yeah. and booksellers yeah. read a lot of books and I think you're right Hank it often isn't treated as part of their job mm-hmm. but it is certainly a profession where I mean the best read people, I've ever known are almost all librarians or booksellers. Yeah. It's certainly a profession that attracts people who love to read, love to talk about books, love to think critically about books. Yeah. 
Is there anybody else who reads every book? I can't think of anybody. <laughs> I mean, I guess like at, at publishers, like sales reps read books and, yeah. you know, generally yeah. love books. Like mm -hmm. pretty much everybody who works in publishing has to like books on some level yeah. because if they oh, didn't yeah. there are other there are better businesses you know uh -huh. like if you if all you want is to be a publicist you're going to go work for nike yeah and i mean like, an editor is also like the, the other thing is that that in that world you have friends who are working in that world and so like my editor reads a lot of the books of other editors so while maya mm -hmm. has read my books 10 20 times and probably is pretty done with them she reads other editors work and, and she, you know, like to learn from their process and just to support them and to be excited about their work. And so that's also in the, in the world of publishing, like your friends are working on books and you, it's part of how you support your friends and feel connected to them is by reading whatever they're working on. Right. Very true. So agents, good luck, Rachel. Also agents. Agents. I, There's probably agents. a lot of people we're not thinking of, Rachel. Um, <laughs> agents read honest, a lot of but... books. Oh. Agents read a lot of books. They read a lot of like first 10 pages of books, yeah. but they also read a lot of books. So yeah, there are lots of jobs out there that involve reading books and we hope you find one, Rachel. Woo -woo. Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just want to read a couple response emails we got. One from Allie who wrote, Dear John and Hank, in a recent episode of the podcast, you discussed how pulling out a book in public is like asking to have a meet cute in real life. That's not what, what we I said. It is. It is. It is a little bit what we said. We we said that that happening the first day of homeroom, right, is is not it's, is is a is definitely people are trying to express something with the book that they have chosen. I, let me get to the point of the email. When I was in college, okay. <laughs> I wanted to get a cute guy to join the book study I was in, so I walked by his dorm room reading the book. He saw me. He uh -huh. noticed the book. He joined the wow. book study. And now wow. we're married with an adorable toddler, wow. and we watch every Vlogmothers video cuddled up on our couch together, DFTBA, Allie, and Tommy. So it sometimes works, Hank. Wow. Wow. It has well, worked. I, I, some other people wrote in to say, when I'm reading a book in public, I am demonstrably asking to not be talked to, thank you. That's very true. You're right. So. You're right. It was, <laughs> we got, we, yes. But hey, there is, look. look. It's hu human interaction is complicated and sometimes it's going to go one way and sometimes it's going to go another way. And that that is uh, amazing. And I love that that worked. And I love love, John. Sarah also wrote in to say that they just listened to episode 51, which is like wow. seven years ago, in which we have a discussion mm -hmm. about what to say when someone knocks on the bathroom door while you are inside. And then Sarah's suggestion of what Sarah says when people knock on the bathroom door is so good that even five oh, years wow. later, I have to share it with you. <laughs> I wanted to share my go-to response, which is to yell, come back with a warrant. <laughs> That's very good. That's great. Oh, oh my God. Come back with a well warrant. Well done. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> and a, a, especially in a public a public bathroom. The more public, the you're better. Like, the... You're, you're going to have to walk past that person when you come out. <laughs> yeah, when you walk out after saying come out with a warrant, you do the thing where you, like, point at your eyes, and then you point at their eyes, and then you point at your eyes again. <laughs> And then you just walk yeah. right, walk right back to the your table at the restaurant, and you're like, "I, yeah. you heard me, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right." If I'm somebody, watching you. If somebody yelled, <sighs> if I knocked on the bathroom door, you want to talk about a meet cute that results in marriage, Hank? If I knock on a bathroom door and somebody says, "Come back with a warrant," when they leave that bathroom, I'm gonna like hand them a business card and say, "Can we be friends?" <laughs> Oh God, I don't have oh, I don't God. have a business card, but I, that's what I would do if I did have a business card. Hank, let's talk about the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Okay, how's AFC Wimbledon doing, Jan? Oh my God, so good. Uh, two two amazing oh. things happened this week. Um, first and most importantly, um, we on my birthday, August twenty fourth. Thanks for my gift, by the way, Hank. You didn't get me anything on my birthday, August twenty fourth. <laughs> got you nothing. Um, AFC Wimbledon played horribly i mean mm. awful terribly yeah uh, in a uh second round carabao cup tie you'll remember there are all these knockout competitions like right, the carabao right. cup the yeah. fa cup 
And yet, despite playing horribly, we won the game in the last, with essentially the last kick of the game. Anthony Hardigan, who's been with AFC Wimbledon wow. since he was 10 years old or 12 or something, scored the uh, scored the winning goal. And that meant that we got to be in the third round of the Carabao Cup. And we could have drawn any of the teams anywhere in England, but we didn't yep. draw just any team. We drew Arsenal away with, and they play in like a 60,000 seat stadium. And it is going to be so much money. And it is, I mean, it's a dream. It's a dream come true. It's like, it's like winning an actual lottery. They pick a ball out of a a machine and you you get paired with Arsenal away from home at a stadium that seats all these people. It's very expensive to go there. All Arsenal fans, please go to the third round FA Cup, uh, Carabao Cup tie against AFC Wimbledon. Please pay full price for your ticket. Uh, I'm very (laughs) excited. It's a huge deal for Wimbledon. It's really, really good. It does not matter. It does not matter if we win the game. It just matters that we got that lucky draw. Well, I mean, if we won the game. That's a a big if. (laughs) You're not going to win that game. We're not going to win that game. Arsenal yeah. are terrible this year, but we're not we're not going to win <laughs> okay. that game. Um, yeah, maybe no, Me- mm, no. <laughs> I can't. You know me. I can't. Well, I can't give up hope. And then over the <laughs> weekend, AFC Wimbledon went to Ipswich Town. Ipswich Town, most notable for having signed the very same Joe Piggott who just left us. Oh. And they were expected to be one of the uh, best teams this year. They certainly have one of the highest budgets, and they're kind of like picked by everybody to be uh, promotion favorites. Um, yeah. But not so much on that day. They did uh, score two goals very quickly uh, at the beginning of the second half. And I was very frustrated and upset. And I was like, I can't believe it. But then we came back and we drew 2-2. This is the second time wow. that we've come from two goals down to tie a game. And the tying goal was scored again on the last kick of the game in the last second Jeez. of stoppage time by Jack Rudoni, who has also been with Wimbledon since he was a little kid. His mom is a huge Wimbledon fan. And uh, it's just awesome. It It was I, it was great. We do need to stop tying games and start winning a couple. But yeah. even so, it was a joy to watch. AFC Wimbledon, five games into the league, one season, are in 15th place. And uh, stop the count. I would be very happy to end it right there. Well, 15th would be awesome. That's that's cool. Um, I, I, love, I love tying good teams. Oh, yeah. It's great. Now we just need to beat some bad teams. Yeah. This week in Mars News... Uh, so Perseverance is, of course, attempting to persevere after it lost its sample. So it drilled that hole. Right. And then yep. it looked up, the, picked up the sample, and there was nothing in the sample tube. So it is headed on over to a different area that's going to have softer ground. better rocks, actually harder rocks. Oh. That, so what they think happened that with this turn other rock dust. is that it just turned into dust. Yeah. Right. Um, so they are headed to a area of some rocks that have, have withstanded some, like a lot of erosion over the years and they'll be able to hold up to the drilling a little bit better. And uh, they're going for a rock that they've named Rochette. Sure. Why not? Cause it's just mm, like a, a good name, a nice looking rock. Uh, and they're going to drill and take that that sample. They're they're adding another step to the sampling procedure. Will they where they like uh, actually like take a picture of the tube to make sure there's something in there <laughs> before they stow it away? Um, yeah, good call. And uh, and the uh, uh, yeah, so uh, and they're at, they're adding another extra step where they're going to take a picture of the tube uh, so that we'll actually know if there's something in there. And uh, I have every confidence that it's going to work. I'm excited. We're going to get a rock into a tube. We're going to have two rocks. And then we're going to shake them up, see see what they're made out of. See what's in there. See what's in that tube rock. It's going to be cool. <laughs> I hope we can do it. I feel like it's pretty hard to get a rock into a test tube on Earth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you ask like one of those Sampling. Boston Dynamics robots to do that, they would be like, oh, this is going to yeah. be, this is going to take a while. 
John, thank you for making a podcast with me. It's been a pleasure. If you want to send us your questions, we're at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We don't have a podcast if you don't have questions. So thank you very much for having them. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Halls Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Trakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be, be awesome. awesome.